morning, church. I ask you what I asked the kids this morning. How do you feel about rules? Are you a, a fan of rules? Raise your hand if you're a fan of rules. Raise your hand if you're kind of n- not a fan of rules. Some of you are going like this. You got, you're not a fan of rules. At least you're sticking with your vote. I want to tell you that we cannot survive without rules. You know, one of the times I feel most excited about rules is when I'm driving on a two-lane highway. Especially if the speed on that road is pretty high. Like, you know, it's a 55-mile-per-hour set of parameters for driving. And there's someone else coming at me at 55. I'm going toward him at 65. And together we would create a real problem if he doesn't stay on his side of the line. But you know what keeps him on his side of the line? A rule. I am really thankful not only for the rule, but for his obedience to the rule in that moment. Right? Aren't you? You know, you never want to see that person come crossing over the line at you all of a sudden. You don't even want to see him come a half a mile ahead of you unless there's a lot of shoulder to get away. I would rather drive down over an embankment than get into a head-on collision. Because there's another rule. It's a, a simple rule. It's actually a law. It might actually be considered an unbreakable law. It's the law of physics that simply says two masses cannot, cannot occupy the same space. And should that person come across the line and try to let his mass and my mass occupy the same space, there will be a massive collision and no collusion. Just a mess that you don't even know that you'd survive. I like rules like that. You know, when we talk about rules, we only dislike the rules that we dislike. Right? We only dislike the rules that we don't want to keep, that we don't want to be a part of, that we don't want to follow. This morning, I want to take you to John chapter 15, John 13 to 17 is the last illustrations, the last commentary, the last set of rules, the last guidelines, the last prayer of Jesus before the crucifixion. Um, If you are working your way through John, if you're reading the book of John, when you get to this point, you need to inform yourself that these are some of Jesus' last words. There's some interesting sort of uh, comments from medical people, medical personnel. Certain people who deal with those who are reaching the end of their life they, they make this statement, which seems kind of weird. They say that it is best to die of something that you know has a terminal end. So you, you know you've got this, and at some point, and your doctor will give you an estimate, down that road, you're, you're going to meet your end. They said because people will take those last weeks or months and settle old issues. They'll finally have the conversation with their neighbor. They'll finally have the conversation with their kid or their parent. They'll finally have that conversation they've been putting off for the last 30 years. They'll finally settle those accounts. And they'll finally look at the other person in the eye and say, I know we've been on bad terms for a long time. I ask for forgiveness. And I want you to know I've never stopped loving you. And they said most people in that process, as they're working their way through all of that, after they get through all the frustrations at the beginning, you know, at the beginning, you're in denial and you're in anger and you're in a whole bunch of other things to deal with that. But they said when they start working through the process, this is medical professionals, this is not theologians and preachers, say that they will begin to settle accounts and they'll come to their end more peacefully. I've told you all how I would like to die. Massive brain hemorrhage in the middle of a sermon. Just be done. Right after I close my last conclusion. Still working on that? Still planning for that? See how that goes. Somebody told me that would be a terrible thing. You'd leave scars on all those people. But those last words. (laughs) Is there anything a preacher can want more than to be remembered for those last words that were not like, oh no, or that hurt, or something like that. In John chapter 15... We have Jesus 
giving some illustrations, and I particularly want to take you to an illustration that has to do with a rule for life. How you might walk with God, how you might follow him. And it's in John chapter 15, it's verses 1 to 8, it's not a long segment, so I'm just going to read the whole thing to you. So here we go. Jesus speaking, says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is, wiz- and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So you will be my disciples. Do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Some of you do. A couple of yeses out there. Jordan Peterson is kind of an unlikely uh, icon. Here's a guy who... He's a psychologist. He's a Canadian psychologist. He was in relative obscurity till he got into a fight with somebody on Canadian television and it went viral. But in the process, he had been posting his psychology classes online, just posting them. People started picking up, reading them. And, and so when, when those who had been following his psychology, college classes saw this, they became very interested and they became sort of little... Jordan Peterson advocates, they started sending out commentary and things about him and telling their friends about him. Slowly he grew in popularity, and somebody approached him to write a book. When they approached him to write it, it was actually his second book, first book no one had ever heard of. It was actually his second book, and Jordan Peterson decides at a time when we are antinomian. You know what antinomian is? Antinomians are somebody who's opposed to law. No, it says the, the law. So you're anti, you're p- opposed to law. In a time when antinomianism is maybe at its peak, he writes a book. He decides to write a book called The Twelve Rules for Life. You would expect that to go on a library shelf somewhere and be read by four librarians and three psychologists, and that would be that. That book became the number one bestseller in all the English-speaking word and stayed world and stayed there for a year and a half. Lest you think, wow, how profound. Rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Okay? Have good posture. Well, it's actually not, that, not about that at all. It actually wanders around Genesis. It, also, it actually talks a lot about uh, how you per- are perceived in the world. But it's an interesting first rule. Number two, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Make friends with those who want the best for you. Of the top three, that's probably my favorite so far. Number four, compare yourself with who you were yesterday. Not with someone else's today. Hmm. It's getting kind of personal, isn't he? This, <laughs> this one, don't let your children do anything that will make others dislike them. Anybody have children? This one could be tough. This one is probably, it's the last one I'm going to give you because it's just, it goes right in. It's just a stabbing and a turning of the knife. Put your house in perfect order before you start to criticize others. <laughs> yeah. Remember that one the next time we have to vote for somebody. He goes on to finish the book. I actually have read the book a couple of times. I'm, uh, I, I really think he has something to say. And uh, 
weirdly enough, the man seems to be going through a very resistant, very public conversion. He's like, he may be the most resistant person since C.S. Lewis to be converted by his own thinking. I want to share with you another rule. This is a rule that was given to me when I was a boy. I was probably nine or ten years old. When an adult in my life said to me, look out for number one. Luckily, I was young enough that I didn't have the full impact of that. It seemed like a pretty good idea to a nine or ten-year-old. But man, that is a rule I think a lot of people follow. Look out for number one. That's a freeway rule if I ever read one. As Jesus is sharing rules at the beginning of this uh, text, as he begins to describe life, he simply uses this word abide a lot. Abide in me, abide in me, stick close to me, abide in me. That seems to be a rule. Today we'll unpack that a little bit. So I want to say one thing more about your rules before we go on. Everyone lives by rules. You have a set of rules. Whether you've thought of them through well enough to know for sure, you do. There are certain ways you do things and certain things you do that are your rules. Some of you have the rules that say, have a rule that says, I don't care what I look like. People can just deal with it. Don't raise your hand. We already know who you are. Right? Some of you say, hey, I would like to put the best me available out every single day. We all know who you are, too. Some of us say, I'm looking out for me because no one else is. That's be looking out for no one else here, for myself here. Some of you say, I would like to put other people ahead of me. You're the folks who let people pull in front of you in line. You're the person who who sees the cart full of of groceries and knows that you have three items and still lets the people with $300 worth of items go in front of you. And you stand there with a pleasant smile on your face. We don't know whether you actually believe it or not, but you're smiling the whole time while the rest of us are astonished. You're living by a set of rules. Are your your rules selfish? Are your rules selfless? Have you even considered what your rules really are? Do you value people outside your family more than the people inside your family? Do you value the dollar more than you value the individual? Do you value people at work more than your children? There are sets of rules that you live by, and most other people looking at your life can tell what your rules are. Have you thought about your rules? This is the bad thing about this is we don't actually think about our rules much. We don't actually stop and think about what our rules will be. I asked one of my boys who told me in the seventh grade, eighth grade maybe, Dad, I'm going to live. I've set up, I've, I've decided on four rules. I'm going to live by these rules. And he, he ran them off for me. They're pretty good rules. Just be honest, you know, be faithful, things like that. I asked him the other day, do you remember what your rules were? No, Dad, I forgot those a long time ago. <laughs> But we have them. We all have them. If you don't think you do, you're kind of deluded because you're living by some set of standards which has produced who you are right now. So look at the person sitting in your chair and say quietly to yourself, this is my fault. Right? Don't blame your mom and dad. Don't blame your poor children. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame your third grade teacher. Though I've told you about mine. The reality is, the rules you live by have produced the person sitting in your seat. I think all of us could do with an adjustment once in a while. That's why we started last week talking about the rule of life. And that's why we're going to continue this week and next. We'll just, we won't take you all year through this, but I bet you could take a whole year on it. But I just want to keep talking about how we examine these things and what we do. So here in Jesus' last teachings again, we have these 
statements, these pictures. First, I want you to remember what we said last week. A biblical lifestyle will always cause conflict with culture. If you choose to live a biblical lifestyle, it will always cause conflict with the culture in some area of your life. I know there are some of you who are, who are here today kind of in that, oh, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus or not space. You're like, I would like to. Maybe I'm even thinking about being baptized and kind of proclaiming it publicly. But you're just not sure. Be forewarned. A choice for a biblical lifestyle will cost you something because the culture will not enjoy your choice. Jesus said in this same, same segment from in chapter 17, the world hated them, his disciples, because they are not of the world. The culture has a set of rules. If you choose to follow the rules of Jesus, you will find yourself in conflict with the rules of the culture. Make sense? Of course it does. You're the only one going 55 on the freeway. Everybody's going around you. They don't like your fa- the, the rule that you're following. You're the only one going 45 on the freeway, and there's not a soul in support of that. Your rules will set you with or against the culture. Christian rules and values will tend to set you in opposition, in a conflicted relationship with the culture. They won't just tend to. They will always. Okay? How's the good news going so far? Here's the deal, though. Their side's losing. Those set of rules don't help. Those set of rules are broken. Those set of rules are fallacies. Those rules are destroying people's lives. So you might find yourself in opposition to a set of rules that are actually destructive. I don't think that's a bad place to be. Even if somebody is jumping up and down, screaming, crying like a baby about your choice. Right? So here is the picture. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is how Jesus opens up the discussion. I am the true vine. What does that mean about vines? If there's a true one, there's a fake one. There's a false one. I am the true vine. Anything else you've connected to yourself isn't a real vine, isn't the real source. This is the only true vine. This is the biblical story over and over and over again. There's only one God. Everything else is a rock and a stick. I am the only true vine. You go to Revelation, it's uh, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. It's all, everything else is a fake. Everything else is false. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Do you know what the vine dresser is? He's the guy with the pruning shears. It's like, I am the true vine, and Dad's coming along to make a little clip. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's going to come along and do some clipping. If you look at this particular vine, I picked it because it's been recently clipped, and there's the new bud. There's the new bud. He's going to come along, and he's going to make this clipping action. If you choose the rule of life that has Christ at its center, Jesus will empower your life. And there will be some pruning. It is not pruning for pruning's sake. Any of you driven through the Napa Valley? Okay, I would expect people around you have driven. How about through Lodi? I actually prefer the vines in Lodi to the ones in Napa because there are still some in Lodi that are just kind of growing up on their own all different directions and slowly they clip them back to just a simple nub so that the new vine, which is the only place fruit grows, will come out from that space, from that little bit left and create the new fruit for the new season. If you just let the vine grow all over the place, you have giant vines And still about the same amount of fruit, or even less. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So to develop an effective rule from here, you start having to understand what game you're in. What's the end game in this thing? What are we trying to accomplish here? To develop effective rules, you have to start with the end in mind. Right? Does that make sense? 
What are the rules for the roads trying to tell you? The rules for the road were developed over time because people who had been driving horses started driving cars. And when the people who were driving horses started driving cars, there needed to be new rules. Because if a, if a couple of wagons came at each other at three miles per hour and they came to an intersection, you saw each other a long way in the distance. When you arrived at the intersection, somebody stopped, somebody went through, and that was the story. There were not a lot of rat wagon crashes going on. The horses were smart enough to keep that from happening. Then they put them behind the, the, the wheel of this thing that's being driven on their, their foot and they just plow on through the intersection and not everybody's paying attention and sometimes somebody hits somebody else because now they're going faster than they ever have before. 20 whole miles per hour flying down the dirt road. And there was just no time to react. And so they looked at that and they said, hmm, what is the end game decision here? What do we need to, to do to prevent this from happening? What do we not want to see happening? Oh, I know. We would like to stop people from crashing into each other. How do we do that? Let's put up signs. Let's put a sign down the road that says there's an intersection coming. That's the warning sign. There's a heads up sign. And then when we get close to the intersection, let's put up these little red signs that say, stop. Oh, but what they, but we have to know when to go because you can't just tell them to stop because then they just stand there looking at each other like, now what do we do? Well, then we tell them, okay, if you're on the right and you stop at the same time, you get to go first. If you arrived here first, you get to go first. Everybody stops. These are the rules. Okay, you got the rules? Good, great. So now we no longer have crashes in intersections when people follow the rules. Note, what was the desired outcome? No more crashes at the intersections. What rules were laid in place? Whatever rules were necessary to make that happen. Make sense? Okay? You ever play a new game? You go to someone's house and they want to play a game. Come on, we'll go play this game. And you, they get the game, they pull out the box, and you're like, I have no idea what that is. What's the first thing you ask when you're, there's a new game? Yes, how do you play? How do you play this game? What do they tell you? They tell you the rules. Well, the, 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 the goal of this game is for you to get a whole bunch of these dumb-looking little cards, and at the end we're going to count up whose card, who has how many cards, and whoever has the most cards wins. And here's the complicated process by which you get cards, lose cards, uh, don't want cards that you, you've gotten. Have, try to get rid of cards that you're trying to get rid of. Here's how you do the game. Here's how, the game's end is get a lot of cards. The game's rules are these. 45 and a half rules. We don't always use this one. Sometimes we just ignore it. Right? The same thing is true with your life. In this particular passage, Jesus tells us what game we're in. Did you catch it? If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask what you will is where you go next. End of the phrase. You will bear fruit. What business are we in? According to Jesus. We're in the great business. We're bearing much fruit. The goal of this abiding rule is that you bear much fruit. That there's fruit from your life. Pretty, I don't know, pretty vague. What kind of fruit? Is it really grapes? How about cantaloupe? What if I'd like to have cantaloupe? What if I'd like to do bananas? Can I do bananas? What if I would like to have nuts? They're not exactly fruit, but they are sort of the same thing. What about if I would like to do tomatoes? I hear they're actually fruit. Right? Jesus says, I would like you to abide in me. I'd like you to stay connected with the vine, because if you stay connected with the vine, you will bear much fruit. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear a ton of What's going to happen if you bear fruit? According to that, the Father will be glorified. Okay, so let's stop and look at the game for a second. Jesus is talking to the 12 original disciples. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You're the twelve. He's there that end of his life. He's, he's about to go to the cross. 
he's like, these are my people. This is all I could collect out of all this mass of humanity. These are the 12 followers. This is what I'm going to go with. I need you to understand that you need to bear a lot of fruit. Do you think they got that? Do you think, oh, of course, that's obviously what we're doing. We're bearing fruit. Yep. Okay. Let's go. Fruit, 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 fruit. You know, get the gang of cheerleaders. What do we want? More fruit. What do we want? More fruit. I don't think they understood it any better than you do. I think they began to understand from what Jesus said. Because Jesus didn't actually tell them what the fruit would be. He told them how to get the fruit. He didn't actually say, well, you're a cantaloupe and you're a blackberry and you're going to produce grapes and you're going to produce, produce you're going to produce cranberries because you're a little sour. He didn't do any of that. He said, I want you to produce fruit that will glorify the Father. Here's how you do it. Well, later, we're going to hear about fruit of the Spirit and all that sort of thing later. The disciples will actually be the ones who explain what this is later. But our goals are to produce a lot of fruit somehow so that we might glorify God. Here we have those 12 people over here. And these 12 people are going to turn into a billion by 2022. How? They're going to bear a bunch of fruit that glorifies God and makes other people want to get into the fruit business. No? That's what happened. That's what happened. They started living like Jesus in the planet. They started caring for and loving people and doing things that crazy, crazy, crazy things like loving their neighbor. In the midst of a time when violence was the rule, these people were being kind and loving and peaceful and generous and caring with their time and with their hearts. They were actually out there loving their neighbor, loving people, being trying just to emulate Jesus. And that was the fruit. And other people saw what they were doing and they said, well, those people are being so kind. I think I'm going to join them. The, I'm going to join the kindness brigade and we'll see what happens. You know what happened? Fruit. And more kindness and more love and more generosity went out throughout the world. And then there was more fruit. And then there was more fruit. And then there was more fruit. And they, over, they, they turned over. They toppled the most fearsome empire in the history of the Western world, well, I don't know about the rest of the place, with kindness and love and generosity, by living like Jesus. Glorify my Father by bearing a lot of fruit. You're in the grapes of death. Not the grapes of wrath, but the grapes of love. Okay. And so, therefore, you will be my disciples. Back to the bit. Back to the beginning. Now that you know the game you're in, the outcome we're expecting. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does, now we're back to the Father. He prunes. Why does he prune it? So it will bear more fruit. So is God being mean? Is God coming along and saying, you don't need this hand. You can play the piano with one. <laughs> he took your hair. Yeah, yeah. You, me, him, him. Just grew right through it. We have a tendency to think of God trimming the fruit as some kind of maniacal, mean, unkind person, unkind being in the universe. That's not what's happening. He's saying, look, there are some things that are getting in the way of you bearing fruit, and therefore they're getting in the way of you glorifying me, which is getting in the way of other people following me, which is getting in the way of people being saved. And, and I don't value your extra fluffiness 
over their salvation, so we're trimming your fluffiness. Okay? And those in the fruit business say, trim away, God, because I'm just here to bear fruit. You surrender to the pruning because you see the goal is the fruit, not the fluffiness. Because you could have long, flowing vines. I grew up along a creek where there were massive grapes growing up in the trees. Huge, long grapevines. But you could only find the grapes out where that vine had reached back down, and you could get the grapes out on the edges. Massive grapes. Little tiny fruit. Massive vines. I mean, fruits like that. They still tasted like grapes. They were half seeds. Weren't as good as they could have been. Because there was no pruning. So are you okay with rule that allows you to be pruned? Are you okay with God trimming back your fluff so that you can bear more fruit, so that God will be glorified, so that people will be saved? Are you okay with being pruned if someone's eternity might be at stake? See, this is the game we're in. These are the stakes. I would like you to stop doing this in your life. Because when you do this, you're crazy. And crazy does not produce fruit. It just produces crazy. And crazy is not very glorifying. And so we're going to prune this off because that leads to crazy. And crazy gets in the way of somebody learning about the eternity through you. Not that I don't have lots of people who could tell them, but I want you to tell them. I want you to, to experience the joy of your, your life bearing fruit fruit that bears fruit that bears fruit that leads to eternal life in someone else's life would you be willing to follow the rules of pruning in those circumstances dad's coming with his shears you get to decide whether you're going to be pruned he says to the disciples you're already clean this is a weird sort of segue not segue segment he just inserts it in here Oh, you're already clean. What do you mean you're already clean? Well, just before this, he said there's pruning that's going to be happening. He tells the disciples, well, you guys are not going to have to be pruned much. You've already been kind of shaped up. You don't have to be pruned a lot because the word which I have spoken to you has made you clean. The word of God will prune you if you let it. If you read it. The word of God will prune you, right? Those of you who read the word of God, does it not prune you? You're studying the word of God. You're going along and you come across something that you see says, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And you go, oh, oh, oh. And you make the adjustment, shift over onto that and say, okay, I'm in because the stakes are too big for me to stay out. Because the job that's bearing fruit that glorifies God in the world so that the world sees God favorably and wants to follow God and therefore be transformed and have eternal life. So when the word of God comes down and you go, okay, all right, I get it. Shifting to that so that there may be fruit, there may be glorification, there may be opportunity, and there may be eternal life. Because that's the business we're in, right? Do you see how the rules are determined for an outcome? And when you know what the outcome is, the rules start to have a place that makes sense? All right. He who, by, he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much. This is the last one. This is kind of a big one. He who abides in me. Do you use abide a lot? This is from a Greek word, meno. Meno means a whole bunch of kinds of things. It means uh, a place of dwelling. I mean, to, to go to a space, to go to a place, to dwell in a particular place, a building or a, whatever. A cave could be where you're going to meno. 
but you're going to meno, right? You're going to go into a space and hang out. In John chapter 1, meno is, meno is right there with the disciples. In the story that I was talking to the kids about this morning, guys, remember the story about the two guys who are standing there with John, and when they're, they're standing there, John goes, hey, look at that. There goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And these guys say, I'm in. We're in. Let's go follow him. And they start. They get, to, they get behind. They start following him. This is what it says. The two disciples heard him speak, John, John the Baptist, and followed Jesus. Again, this is Andrew and John. Then Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which John inserts means teacher because he's writing for an international audience. He mostly speaks Greek. Where are you staying? Where are you menowing? Where are you abiding? Where are you hanging out? What do you seek? Um, where, where do you hang out? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was menowing. And they menowed with him that day because then it was about the 10th hour. Here's John in chapter 1 saying, you know, I menowed with Jesus. And here's John in chapter 15. And he's repeating the words of Jesus. And he's, Jesus is calling for you to bear fruit that glorifies God and demonstrates that you are a disciple. And it sounds so hard. And John says, no, I remember how this whole gig got started. Because this is the same thing he said then. We asked, where do you menow? And he said, come and see. And we, we went with him and we menowed with him. And we hung out all that night. Because Jesus says to John, abide in me. In John 15. In the simple projection of our common present language. The Greek word meno, abide, stay with, be present with, remain as one. Hang out. Hang out with Jesus. Hang out with people who hang out with Jesus. Gather in groups to hang out with Jesus. Have little Jesus parties. Hang out with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. Hang out with him until you can mimic him. Can you mimic your friends? I mean, your really close friends. A good friend of mine and I, walking down the hall, last year of seminary. We're in the basement of the seminary where the history department was. I'm not sure if it's still there. Haven't been back lately. Walking down through the history department. We had one favorite professor. We took all of his classes because he was our rabbi. He was our teacher. We were going to hang out with him. We were going to get as much information from him as we could. And we started to learn to, to understand what he was teaching. We started to apply what he was teaching in all these other places in our life. We started to see the bigger picture. There was fruit from our life for the things he had taught us. Walking down the hall. My buddy and I had been mimicking this professor for a year or better by now. Walked by. The professor had a very distinctive nasally voice. You had to get over that if he was going to be your rabbi because you had to get past the, everything kind of comes at you like this. We had been mimicking him and that voice. And you get so used to using those mimicking sounds that sometimes they pop up when you're not expecting them because the fruit of your walk with Jesus is going to pop out at times when you don't expect it. And it should. Because the fruit that glorifies God shows other people God, then they want to follow God, and their eternity is touched by your fruit. We're walking through the department. We're actually going to his class. He's coming this way. We're going that way. We're going into the hall. Is his class. Last class we'll ever take from him. Walk by. We get about three steps after we've made the turn to go to our right. He's coming out of his office going the opposite direction. I don't know, making copies of something for the class. My buddy says, I guess I can tell you his name. My buddy goes, 
Hi, George. Mimicking George's voice to George. George, who maybe has heard his voice so many times that hearing it from someone else seemed normal to him, just said, hi, guys. I don't even know if he knew. To this day, I don't know. George Knight, if you're watching, he was making fun of you. But it was a great statement about his impact on us. We began to talk. Him. Hang out with Jesus till you begin to talk like Him. Hang out with Jesus because you're in the fruit business for goodness sake. If you abide in me, if you stay connected with me, if you stay re- relating to me, if you hang out with me, if, if your life and my life become so enmeshed that you begin to talk like me, you begin to act like me, you begin to take on my values, even my expressions, even the tone of my voice will come out of your mouth because you have learned to become a mimic of Jesus in the world and you are bearing fruit that glorifies God because that's what Jesus was doing. He was a living glorification of God. And when you bear this fruit that glorifies God, people see this in you. And some of those people say, I want to live more like that than the way I'm living. I'm having a very unsuccessful life. And these crazy people with the weird behaviors, they seem to be having a better life. I'm going to give that a try. And those people give it a try and they discover that this whole crazy fruit-bearing life is a better life in this messed up little planet. And they start to follow and they start to mimic Jesus and they start to accept his covering grace and his blood for all of their sins. And they are transformed and their eternity is changed because you hung out with Jesus long enough to bear fruit that glorified God, that transformed a life that changed their eternity. You're in the fruit business. Let him in. Let him in. Let him in. In all the ways you can. Let him in. You want a simple, practical one? Read the New Testament till you understand who Jesus is. Read just the Gospels for weeks and weeks and months and months, maybe for years. Just read the Gospels over and over and over and over. And just keep pounding away at the Gospels till you understand who Jesus is. Then you read the Old Testament with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 in mind, that everything about God is revealed in Christ. And when you go back and you read those things that are scaring you, like the earth opened up and swallowed 300 people, when you read those things, it says, well, this God and that Jesus are the same, so what happens here? And begin to apply Jesus in your understanding, and you'll begin to see the Word making a bigger difference in your life. If you're not in the Word, how are you in Jesus? Because Jesus is the Word. you read it and you become a mimic of Jesus, you will bear fruit. And you will bear fruit that glorifies the Father. And then somebody will see this weird life you live in our cultural, selfish, self-indulgent society. And they'll go, this looks like better life to me. And maybe I want to follow this Jesus. And maybe I want to give my heart to him. And maybe I want to accept the covering of his grace. And their eternity is secure. Because you're in the great business. And you learned to hang out with Jesus till you actually enjoyed it. You hung out so much that you actually enjoyed it. You hung out so much you had fun doing it. First, it was hard because he's weird. He's not like anybody else in the culture. Everything about him is different. But the longer you stay in the presence of Jesus, the more you begin to like it and like him. And you see the differences as the blessing. They are the real cool thing. The differences and the differences are the fruit. And you begin to imitate him and you begin to mimic him. And your voice starts to sound like his and your life starts to look like his. And people see God in you and they start following God because of it. And their eternity changes. And they're in heaven because 
You hung out with Jesus. Doesn't sound that hard, does it? Some days it will be. Lots of days it'll just be worship. Let's pray. Father God, we we all have rules and you need to break some of our rules. We ask that you would that you would trim off the things that are getting in the way of the production of the fruit that might change someone's life. Teach us to mimic you. To think like you, to speak like you, to love like you. Lord, we just need to understand what it means to hang out with you. To abide in your presence. To let the fruit grow. Lord, for all of us type A's, help us to know it's it's not possible for us to make the fruit grow. For all of us who are stubborn and standing in the way, would you just help us to get out of the way so that we can let it grow? Whatever our particular issue is, we pray for pruning. So that there might be fruit. Lord, help us to see our life make a difference for someone else. Help each of us to see. We choose Jesus today. We are grateful that all authority and all power comes from you. We ask that that authority, that power might flow through us into our world. I pray for greater fruit for those who have been producing for a long time, for new fruit, new ways, fresh fruit, on the vines that are just getting planted. I pray that there might be kingdom, kingdom change. That we will see and get to know people both now and in eternity who were blessed because we chose to bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before Him. And there will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with He who died and rose And 
every prayer we prayed in desperation the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear and in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears and there will be a day when all will bow before him and there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he And stand beside the heroes of the faith With one voice, a thousand generations Sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain And on that day, we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain forever he Beyond. 